Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. We hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith. If you would like to learn more about Journey Church, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at thejourneychurch.cc. Now enjoy the message. We are in a series called I Disciple. We actually kicked this series off a couple weeks ago. I'm going to do a quick recap. So if you're note takers, you can take quick notes. Um, if you're really good at note taking, you know that take your phone out, point it at the screen, and just take pictures of the slides. That's how we take notes now, right? So that's how we do it. I'm going to do a little quick recap for you real quick. We started this series called I Disciple a couple of weeks ago. And what we're looking at is going into 2020, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus Christ? One thing that we do well in America is we do well at creating converts, but we don't do well at creating disciples. Right, we get focused on the yes instead of the people living out the yes. Right, we we talked about this before, and I'm not throwing shade, really. I'm not trying to, but but we get so caught up sometimes at big services during the the big times of the year, like Christmas Eve and Easter, and and we do these altar calls, right, where we get up here and we do these altar calls, and people respond, and and we're proud of that. We're excited that they responded. We're excited that they said yes to Jesus to give their lives to Christ and to follow Christ. Um, and, and so we create graphics, right? Some, have you seen this? That we create graphics. And we're like, 329 people said yes to Jesus today. And I'm like, you know 329 people? Right? 329 people said yes to Jesus. And that's exciting. Amen? That's exciting, right? But you know what's even more exciting is when we can follow up a year later and say those 329 people who said yes to Jesus last year are still saying yes to Jesus right now. There's a difference between creating converts What's up, Kofax? Looking at me. There's a difference between creating converts and creating disciples. God has not called us to make converts. God's called us to make disciples. There's a difference between the two. There's a difference between a student and a disciple, right? A student wants to know what the teacher knows, but a disciple wants to do what the teacher does. We're called to be disciples. We're called to do what it is that our teacher does. Over in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, this is what it says real quick. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. Go to the next verse. There it is. Therefore, go and make what church? Say it one more time. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teach these new disciples. Now, that's a really important thing. Right. Teach these new disciples to what? To obey all the commands I've given you. Now, you know that in order to teach these disciples to obey all the commands that Jesus has given you, you know, you have to do life with these people. Right. Come on, church. Right. And doing life with one another. It's more than just what we're doing right here in church. Right. It's more than just sitting in in a chair and staring at the back of somebody else's head. That's not doing life together. That's coming and hearing a word, and we need that. That's, this is the pep rally, church. Y'all understand that? This is where you come after you've had a rough week, right, and you get supercharged so you can go back out into the world and be Jesus to the world. This is where we get to come together and get excited and say, that's right, that's right, and go back into the world. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even till the end of the what? Age. So we talked about that. Uh, the first week we talked about there's a difference between being a convert and being a disciple. And then last week we talked about this. We, we, we talked about as we continue to understand what it looks like to be a disciple, the first thing we have to understand is that a disciple loves, right? 
a disciple loves. And that's something that we don't necessarily do well in our culture, in our society. We don't love well, do we, church? We don't really love well. Social media proves that point over and over and over again. Come on, somebody. You know, that's the truth, right? It's the truth. How many of y'all know about the unfollow button? Not the unfriend button, but the unfollow button. That's where you act like you're still friends, but you're really not. You, you don't want to not really be friends because you still want to be nosy. Y'all know? That's the unfollow button. Yeah. We don't do well at really loving one another in our society, right? And, but but as, a, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that is the hallmark of a disciple. John 13, 35 says it like this. He said this. Let's see. John 13, 35. <laughs> Good thing I have it memorized mostly. This is what it says. It says, and they will know that you're my disciples by how you, what church? Y'all don't know that verse. By how you love one another. That the world will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. Not by how well you, you debate Republican policies and Democratic policies. Not based on how well you can argue pro-life or pro-choice. Not based on those things, but based on how well you love one another. And that means even in your differences, we love. You, we, we, we often, it's up there. No, it's just here. We, we, that's all right. My, my media guy's on it, y'all. I don't send him half the slides just to see how good he is, right? That's really the goal. So how we love one another is really important, isn't it? It's about how you, know, you can really test the level. <laughs> you, can really, you can really see how well we, we walk in love when you find somebody you disagree with. But how, how do we get to a place in our society where, where our disagreement means rejection? Right? Our disagreement does not mean rejection. We can disagree, completely disagree, but I can still love you. And hang out with you and go to church with you and go eat lunch with you and watch you drink coffee. Because I don't do that. That's the devil's poison coffee. I'll watch you drink yourself to death, but it's okay. <laughs> Look, so much so that we provided for you. It's right back there. Y'all go ahead. First John chapter 4 verse 8 says this. It's... There it is. All right. It's... <laughs> Dear friends, let us continue to what? Love. love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is born of God. And what? That's so important. That part right there is so important because it says anyone, anyone who loves is born of God, has a relationship with God, and says, and knows God. So if I don't love you, if I'm not loving you well, it doesn't say anything other than I really don't know God. I can be raised in church. I can go, I have gone to church every day of my life, gone to Sunday school every single day of my life, gone to small groups every single day of my life. But if I don't love you through your ugliness and your messiness, your political policies, if I can't love you through, yeah, yeah enunciate those things. You mess up and get put on YouTube saying something wrong. But if I can't love you through that, what that's revealing to, to everybody is I don't really know God. Because God is what? Love. God is love. Keep going. 
Because anyone who does not love does not know God. They said it twice in two verses, y'all. Y'all see that? For God is what? Love. God showed us how he loved us by sending his only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. Keep going. It says, this is real love. It is not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Verse 11, keep going. I see it there's all the way through 12, I see. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. How much did God love us? This is going to be good. I'm going to preach last week's message again and preach it better than I preached it last week. Amen? Because I'm getting all sorts of stuff right here. Uh, you're messing me up. Okay. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. How much did God love us? So much that he what? Died for us, right? He loved us so much that he died for us before we ever knew him, before we ever gave him a chance. And then he turns around and says, and that is how we ought to love one another. Moving on. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. That's not in there. I'm not going to preach it to you, but, but it goes on and gives you the definition of what love is. Patient, kind, right? Not envious, keeps no records of wrong. All those, that's the definition of love. And so if you're wondering how well of a job, how good of a job you're doing at loving others, you should really go and evaluate 1 Corinthians 13 and kind of look at that and say, man, am I being patient? Am I being kind? Am I holding on to something? Am I being bitter, right? Bitter party of one. Do I have that going on? It, you know, if so, then, then I need to reevaluate something. And what is that that I need to reevaluate? I need to reevaluate the love that God has for me because I can't love you. And so I understand how loved I am. You can't give away what you don't have, church, right? Amen. And so if we are called to love radically like Jesus loved radically, then we have to understand that we are radically loved by the one who loves radically. Amen. Amen. Ephesians, go over to Ephesians real quick. This is still review. Aren't y'all glad y'all came to church today, right? This is... <laughs> Still review Ephesians chapter three, verse 16. Come on, church. Look at it. it says, I pray. This is Paul speaking to the churches of Ephesus. He says, I pray that from his uh, from his glorious unlimited resources, he will give you mighty inner strength through his Holy Spirit. Keep going. And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you what? trust in him. May your roots grow or go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. Keep going. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, listen to what he says, as all God's people should, how what? Wide and how long and how high. And how, y'all are getting ahead of me. Y'all stay with me. And how deep, how deep his love really is. Watch this, though. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is so great you will never fully understand it. Our job as Christians, as jobs as, as followers of Jesus Christ, our jobs as disciples is to daily, continually try to figure out just how much God loves us so that we can turn around and reciprocate that love to others. But guess what? We're never going to get to a place where we fully understand or can fully comprehend the love that God has for us. So that means that we can always love better tomorrow than we love today, right? That was week two. Y'all can go check these messages out on uh, the websites there, journeychurch.cc.
Let's talk about prayer. That's the next thing we're going to talk about. Let's talk about prayer. So as a disciple, we are disciples, right? And we are to love, right? But as disciples, we are to live lives uh, that resemble Jesus. We are to live a life of prayer. Now, what you have or what you think about prayer may be completely different. I, I can almost guarantee it's probably completely different than the way that Jesus understood prayer. If I tell you, this is what does prayer look like, you might have an image come into your head of somebody kneeling down beside their bed with their hands folded like this and, 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 that, that, and talking to God right before you go to sleep. right? That, that's prayer. And that's a type of prayer, but that's not all that prayer consists of. And I think to really begin to understand what it looks like to live a life of prayer, we have to kind of first understand um, some really important things about our society, about our culture, right? Our, our culture in the West is very dualistic, right? And what I mean by dualistic is I mean that there is an evil and there's a good and they don't really mix. They don't really separate. They're, they're separated. You see goods over here and, and evil is over here. That's dualistic. That's dualistic thinking. And so, you know, there's good things you do and then there's bad things you do. Right. That's Western thinking. Right. And it infiltrates our, our relationship with God. I'm going to show you in just a moment how that infiltrates our relationship with God. You see, in the East, though, in Eastern culture, they don't have a concept of dualism like that. They don't have a concept where good is over here and, and, and evil is over here. Maybe you've seen the yin and yang symbols. Have you seen that in Chinese culture? And, and we've been told in the West, oh, that's, that's, that's evil, that's dark, or whatever the case is. No, 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 listen. The Eastern cultures have a better understanding of what life looks like than a lot of times us in the West do, right? They had this concept, this understanding that inside good, there's also evil. And inside evil, there's also good. Y'all, y'all understand that, yeah. right? And, 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 and the benefit of doing that means this, that, that they understand that God can dwell with me no matter where I go in life. You, 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 you connecting the dots now. I see heads shaking like, oh, Yes. Think about it, that God goes with you. Jesus just said it. We just read it a few seconds ago. He said, and lo, I am with you always to the very what, church? To the very end. That I am with you in your garbage. I am with you at your darkest moments. I'm with you in your greatest moments. But yet we have this concept that it can't be because we've had a concept preached to us from the Bible. Now, do not write everything else I'm getting ready to say off because I'm getting ready to make this statement. It's going to challenge you, and I, I want to just challenge. Can I challenge you, church? Now, when I say this, just bear with me. Because I'm going to make you think. Can I make you think a little bit? Yeah, sure. We have this, this, this concept that's taught to us, that, that when Christ hung on the cross, right, there was a moment when Christ hung on the cross that, that he screamed out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right. Y'all remember that? And we're told in church, the reason he screamed out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is because God in that moment had to turn his back on Jesus because he cannot be in the presence of sin. Now, don't raise your hand. But if you've probably been told that in church, right, your logic is disconnected. Can I tell you why? That's a dualistic mindset. If God could not be in the presence of sin, we would have something greater than God. If y'all track with me, some of y'all are like, man, y'all lost me. Listen, if God could not be in the, listen to me, church, if God couldn't be in the presence of sin, then Jesus could have not touched the leper. Jesus could not have ate with the tax collector. Jesus could have not have been at the, at the prosecution of the adulteress. Jesus could have not, why? Because Jesus is who? 
Come on, church. Jesus is who? In the flesh. It did not seem like to me when you read the Gospels that Jesus had a hard time hanging out with sinners. As a matter of fact, he did such a great job at it that people accused him of being what, church? A sinner. And he hung out with drunks and they accused him of being what? A drunk. And he hung out with people who liked to eat and they called him a glutton. How many of y'all think that God had a hard time hanging out with sinners? He did not, did he? But we get this mindset. And I can spend time teaching on that. Maybe I'll just dangle it out there and say, I'll teach you on it soon. Some of you are like, nah, nah I got to come back every week. Yes, you do. It's okay. It's okay. He's just preaching me good. That's all. He's shouting me down. He is. I, I know he is. I see that. Can make a different face, maybe. I don't know, man. Yeah. So we have the we, we, we have this mindset in the West that God is over here and we're over there, but in the East they don't. They have a, a concept of understanding that God is is everywhere because God is what church? Omnipresent. He is what church? He's everywhere. Is there any place God is not? It's going to leave that right there. We're going to keep going. Does Don't hear what I'm not saying, but just hear, hear what I'm saying. Because it gets real easy. Y'all understand that, right? It gets real easy sometimes to kind of hear what's not being said, right? Does, does sin slam the brakes on communication with God? No. Does it? No, it doesn't, does it? But why do we treat it like it does? Why, why do we treat it as if, as if it does? Why do we treat that when I miss the mark, when I do something foolish, when I do the same thing I said I'd never do a million times and I do it again, why do we allow it to disrupt the communication that we have between us and God? Why do we allow it, church? Because we are so ingrained that God is over here and that evil is over here, that God can only be in the presence of good things and not necessarily in the presence of bad things. And, and so what we do... Is we, we do this whole, well, I, I got I to gotta begin to beg God to forgive me. But you ever notice, and, and listen, if you need to confess your sins, that's a great thing. That's an okay thing. I'm okay with that. Amen. Okay, I got some of y'all back right then. Okay. Some of y'all came back. All right. But if, 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 if confession of our sins, right, in that moment, is supposed to restore that feeling of communication with us and God, then why doesn't it? Have you ever done that before? Have you ever missed the mark so bad and you've done something you said you would never do before and you go and you ask God for forgive? Oh God, please forgive me. And, and then somehow your relationship's still not right back to the way it was, right? It takes a couple of days, right? You got to feel bad for a couple of days before you allow yourself to feel good again. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And why is that? Because ingrained in us is this concept of separation. Ingrained in this is this concept of dualism. Ingrained in this is this concept that says God is over here and we're over here. God is not over there and we're over here. God is church. That's right. God is. See, our prayer life, what we call our prayer life, it determines if we know of God or if we know God. 
It's important to understand that. That if our prayer life is relegated to an hour in the morning when I get up. How many times have we heard that before my prayer time? And if you have a prayer time, keep it going. I'm not saying don't have your prayer time. See, this is why i got to clarify that stuff, right? <laughs> but if we relegate our prayer time to one hour in the morning and that is it, we know of God. But we don't maybe necessarily know God because I don't know about you, but some of your best relationships aren't relegated to one hour a day. Come on, church. If you're married, you know that's the truth. Amen. You know that if you think your relationship's going to be great by having a one-hour date with your spouse once, once a day, that's the only time y'all talk. Do you really think your relationship's going to be great? No. No. I'm just going to answer that. No, that's not how that works. Right. Could you imagine doing life with somebody? Could you imagine walking alongside somebody? And the only time y'all ever really talked was when you carved out that eight to nine a.m. time. Some of y'all early risers that five to six a.m. time. Right. That's the only time we really communicate back and forth. And then even then, y'all act like you listen, but you don't. You talk too much. Amen. And so even. Even then, when you all go into your prayer time, you spend more time talking to God about your problem instead of talking to your problem about God. Right. We spend too much time doing this and not enough time doing this. And when we understand that prayer is not one way communication, but prayer is a relationship. Prayer is, is listening more than it is talking. It is. How many of y'all like to talk? I know some of y'all in here like to talk. I've heard you since you got here. Y'all just doing this. You're still even talking right now during the service. Like this. My daughter. I love my daughter. Joanna is my princess. She's my five-year-old. I got three kids. Caden is 13. He's 13. And then I have a middle son who, yes, in the name of Jesus. And then he's an awesome kid. He is an awesome kid today. And then do you have, you have he is a great kid though. He is really good. Um, and then you, I have my middle, my middle kid and he's eight years old. That's Micah. Y'all, everybody knows Micah. If you don't know Micah and you see him on social media, he's the guy who plays drums. Played drums for us for three weeks in a row, stepped up like a champ. And then on the fourth week, he stepped there, practiced with us and said, no, I'm gonna go play with my friends instead and left me without a drummer. That's Micah. That's my middle kid, but then you have, you have Jojo. You have Jojo, and Jojo is my princess. But Jojo does not shut up. Jojo talks to nobody and to everybody all the time. And I will drive in the car with my wife, and Jojo is in the back seat, and nobody's talking to Jojo, but Jojo is carrying on five conversations with everybody else in the car, and she is going. And, I, and I'm sitting there thinking, and that I'm like, man, she should just be quiet. And I can't help but think, I wonder if that's how God relates to us sometimes. Like, would you just shut your mouth for a moment? I got something really good I want to share with you. But you're amen, and you leave. Yeah. Yeah. She's still my princess, though. She's still my princess. See, prayer is not simply talking to God, but also listening. And it's actually more 
listening than it is talking. This was the power behind the ministry of Jesus Christ. I want you all to understand that. That that Jesus' ministry was a ministry marked by prayer, right? But what type of prayer? Him talking to God constantly or him listening to the Father constantly? I'm not saying you shouldn't talk during your prayer time. Y'all understand that, right? I'm just saying some of us, we use more words than we're allotted than we're supposed to. So check this out. Go to John chapter 12 real quick. John chapter 12, verse 49. And it says, this is Jesus talking. He said, I don't speak on my own authority. The father who sent me gave me his own instructions as to what I should what? Say. What does that mean? So he gave me instructions, right? And I know his instructions lead to eternal life. So I say, whatever the Father tells me to say. How many of you know that if he is making that statement, there's a lot of listening going on with Jesus. That means that everything Jesus did in his ministry was a direct reflection of what the Father was telling him. What the Father was sharing with him. That means that Jesus... The Son of God postured himself in such a way to receive. And in order to do that, we have to be what? One person got it. Quiet. Quiet. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16. I'm almost done. Y'all still hanging in there? Y'all good? All right. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. You know I wouldn't have stopped if someone said no, right? I would have kept going anyways. All right. Amen. All right. Luke chapter five, verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for what? Prayer. Prayer. And we know that he said, I only do what I hear the father say. I only do what the father tells me to do. So we know that oftentimes he withdrew to listen, to listen. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 17, really short verse. It says this. It says, never stop praying. Or keep on praying. First one was my translation. It says keep on praying, right? Or one translation says um, praying always, right? Or pray without ceasing. How many of you ever read that verse and were like, how in the world do you do that? How do you pray always? How do you pray without ceasing? I can't talk that much. But we think that if, if that means that if our understanding of prayer means I, I just spend all my time talking, right? Pray, pray without ceasing or, or always pray means being in a posture of always listening. Listening. Why is it hard for us to stop and listen? Come on, church. Why is it hard for us to stop and listen? Tell me. Why is it hard to stop and listen? What do you think it is? Who said that? Who said it? Who would you say? We talk too much. We talk too much is really good. Distractions. Okay, good. What else? Well, why do we find it hard to stop and pray? The answer is in the question. We're overstimulated. We're overstimulated. We can't what? Stop. We can't stop. We can't. You, you, we live in an over-medicated society. We medicate because we are constantly stimulated 24-7, and we can't stop. And you know what? I would dare say that a lot of us don't want to stop. And let me tell you why we don't want to stop, because we're scared to death of what God might say to us. Based on how we understand God, 
we're scared to death to stop because we don't know what God's going to say to us. Or we're concerned that that moment where it's quiet, y'all know what is quiet? You ever been in a room so quiet you hear ringing? Like you, you can't hear nothing? You just kind of make sure you're still breathing? Right? It's in that quiet moment, though, when you hear from God. It's, it's in the moment, it's in the quiet moments where we hear from God. And, and, I, and I said, you know, a lot of us were scared to death of being quiet and we're robbing ourselves of being able to have such an intimate relationship with God because we were scared to death to be quiet. And we're scared because we're scared that God's going to point out every little thing we've ever done wrong in our lives. And that is not how God is. Let me just go back to the definition of love. Love, okay, God is what church? Love. love. And love keeps no records of wrongs. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against him. So if you think that sitting down with God, all he's going to do is point out all the little things you've done wrong in your life, you don't know God is madly in love with you. He is not mad at you, church. Some of you might be thinking, well, you're making light of sin. No, I'm not. Sin is heavy. Sin is heavy. Well, are you saying it doesn't matter if you sin? No, I'm not. By the way, I know some of you are asking these questions. I'm just giving you the chance. I'm, I'm saying them for you. Amen, all right? And, and I'm going to answer them for you. It's, it's okay. You're saying it's not a big deal to sin. No, I'm saying it, it's stupid to sin, right? Because sin carries with it its own payment. The wages of sin is what, church? That. We know that. We know that. What I am telling you is that we are not to allow the things that we have done wrong in our life hinder us from going into a place where we can sit down and listen to what the Lord wants to share with us because what he wants to tell us is going to change our lives. Hebrews chapter 4. I'm almost done. Y'all still with me? Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Look what it says. It says, and that is why we have a great high priest. Who is our high priest? It is Jesus. Right? That's the Sunday school answer. Everybody got it right. Jesus. That is why we have a great high priest who has gone to heaven. Jesus, the son of God, let us cling to him and never stop trusting him. Where does Jesus reside when we continue to trust him? We read that scripture earlier. Where does he reside at? He resides in our heart as long as we're trusting him. Never stop trusting him. The high priest, this high priest of ours understands our weakness and he's fa he faced all of the same temptations we do, yet he did not sin. Watch this. So let us come, what church? Boldly, Boldly to the throne of God, of our gracious God. Th leave the scripture right here. There we will receive what? Mercy. His mercy. And we will find his what? grace to help us when we need it. I, I want to sit there because I want to kind of pull out some words right here on this right here. So when it says, let us come boldly, that, that boldness right there is a sense of attitude. It's exactly what it is. Let us come boldly. You ever been bold in your life? Yeah. Come on, church. You ever been bold in your life? Yeah. You ever been in a spot where you knew something that somebody else didn't know and you wanted to rub it in their face and so you just could not wait to tell them what you know that they didn't know? Was that too much? Yes. You ever been in that spot? Like, I cannot wait to tell them this. I'm right there wrong. That's a boldness. Some of y'all are like, that's cockiness. Yeah, but it's bold. 
And the Bible says that we're to go to God with the same boldness. Not, not a, I deserve to be in here, but thank God I get to be in here. Like that one kid who got the golden ticket in Willy Wonka. Pick one. Like which kid? Pick one. Whatever one you relate to. Y'all already see the kid you relate to right now. I'm not throwing no shade on nobody. I name one and look at somebody and like, why did you look at me, Pastor? Sometimes you got to make sure you got to look like this when you talk about anything that's touchy, like weight, you got to look up. Right? So, so let us come boldly. Let us come with confidence. Like we have the golden ticket in the Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. That's the kind of confidence we need to come to God with. Come boldly to obtain what? His what, church? To receive his what? Do y'all know the difference between mercy and grace? I'm going to give it to you right now. If you're a note taker, take it down. Ready? Ross says, there's a difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. That's what mercy is. So let us come boldly knowing that God is not going to give us what we deserve. And it says, and we will find grace to help us when we need it. Y'all know what the definition of grace is? Getting what you don't deserve. Amen. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God because it's in that moment that we are not going to get what we deserve. Instead, we are going to get exactly what we don't deserve. Thank you. Thank you. You are just, can y'all be more like him? <laughs> Romans chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, look what it says. King David, this is a quote from King David. King David looks to the future in a time that he can only dream about. And this is what it says. And the Apostle Paul quotes him and it says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is what, church? And whose sins are what? Put out of sight. Verse 8. Yes, what joy for those whose sin is no longer counted against them by the Lord. Do you all see that? We got one more. You want one more? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. I quoted it a little while ago. It says, for God was in what? For I'm going to throw another grenade at you. You take this and chew on, chew on it. Okay, you ready? For God was in what? God was in, in who? God was in Christ. I just want to get that out there, right? Because we got this. Remember earlier in the beginning, I said, what were you told about God? That God had to turn his back on Jesus Christ. who couldn't be in the presence of sin. If God turned his back on Jesus Christ, the Trinity would implode. There's more, right? So God was where? Not turning his back on Jesus, but God was where? God was in Christ. And what was he doing in Christ on the cross, dying for humanity? What was he doing? He was reconciling the world to himself. That's what he was doing, bringing the world back to himself. That's the gospel. The gospel says everything is okay between God and you. Now, will you allow everything to be okay between you and God? That is the gospel. Who loved you first? God did. No longer counting so he's reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Church, at least you think I'm making this up. What's the next verse? The next, next line says, this is the wonderful message he has given us to tell. What is the gospel? That verse. 
That verse is the gospel. Thought y'all be a little bit happier than that. All right. Because that's good. <laughs> that's good news, church. Amen? That's good news. And you see, so, so, so you're sitting there, again, we, we get in this spot where you say, well, you're making light of sin. You're saying sin's not a big deal. I'm not saying that at all. Has anybody heard me say anything like that in here at all? No, I haven't. But what I'm going to spend my time doing is preaching the gospel. And that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to work in everybody's life in this room. It's not my job. It is not my job to be your Holy Spirit. It is my job to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and allow God, who is not over here and you're over here, but allow God, who is right here, to walk with you step by step, day by day, on your up days and your down days, and allow him to work in you. Because I believe the scripture when it says that he who began a good work in you will what, church? You, man, gold stars for you. You nailed it. Can you come back next week? <laughs> That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And so why spend so much time talking about the love of God? Because as disciples, we need to understand it. Why spend so much time talking about the fact that your sins have been forgiven? Because as a disciple, we need to walk in the confidence of the Lord like that kid that got the golden ticket. We need to walk in confidence and have an incredible prayer life of both talking and listening, walking in step with God, practicing the presence of God. God does not stay at church when y'all leave. Y'all know that, right? God gets into the car and rides shotgun with you the whole way back. Some of y'all are like, man, God and my wife sound the same. Yes, they do. Amen. <laughs> so prayer is not just it's not just for us as individuals, it's, it's for us as the, the collective. And here are a couple of things that prayer does, and we'll wrap up with this. Number one, prayer connects us to the heart of God. I want you to understand that. Prayer connects you to the heart of God. How do I pray? I had a guy tell me that this earlier this week. He said, he said, I don't even know what to say to God. That's perfect. Some of us have too much to say to God. So not knowing what to say to God is a good starting point. You know what you can say? Here I am. Here I am. So prayer connects us to the heart of God. Number two, prayer causes us to do the will of God. Prayer causes us to do, do the will of God. Jesus said this. He said, I only do what I hear my father what? say. And so if I'm in spending time with God and I'm, I'm practicing the presence of God in my, in my house, in my car, in church, at work, whatever the case is, I'm going to be doing the will of God. Last one, prayer reveals the love of God. The more I spend time acknowledging the presence of God in my life, because he's here, whether you acknowledge him or not, the more I spend time acknowledging the presence of God in my life, the more engulfed I am by his love. And the last thing is prayers for all of us. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12, last scripture, and I am done. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12 says, A person standing alone can be attacked and what? But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. 
Man, if, there's, if there is ever a prayer verse, that's it right there. That's it right there. And so what I would love to do is I would love to stretch us just a little bit. Can I do that? Yes. Can I just stretch us a little bit? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer just a few moments of prayer. Some of you are like, I don't want to pray with nobody. That's okay. You can sit there. That's fine. But if you're somebody in here who says, man, I've had a rough week. I've had a rough couple of weeks. And man, I would love to pray with somebody. I want to make that available to you. Does that sound good to you? That sound good? All right, so here's what we're going to do. You had no clothes going to do this. Can you come up there and play? Perfect. Awesome. She's going to play. We rehearsed that. Just whatever you want to play. Reckless love, play that. That's called dirty delegation. Um, so if you, if you want prayer, we're going to have some music going in the background. And... Um, and then we're going to spend some time praying. So if you want prayer, can you just lift your hand? We're going to, I'm going to encourage anybody that's around you. Anybody? I see you back there. All right, pray over here. So hold your hand up right quick. Anybody else? Y'all, this is the church. This is what we do in church, y'all. This is what it means for community, y'all. I see you. Keep your hand up. If you're going to, you want prayer. All right, anybody else before we get going? Anybody else? All right, here's what we're going to do. I want to encourage you. If you're around somebody who just raised their hand, can you just gather around them, please, just for a moment? And, and would you just pray with them? Would you just go ahead and there's a guy right back here, sitting on the back row. Would you just go, somebody, there you go. Would you also go pray with those guys? And, and not everybody has to pray. One person can pray. But can you just pray? Thank you, Jesus.